Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Chicago everywhere, check it. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Golf, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah, yeah. It's episode 13 of The Full Goal podcast. Welcome in. I'm Jason Golf, and always it is brought to you by The Ringer and Spotify is the gang. Well, Sox fans... That sucked. And uh, I sat there. I was all primed and ready. And all the Sox fans that I know, I was hitting them up like, you ready for this? My my Uncle Wayne, who is a member of the CPD, I, I sent him a Tim Anderson gift. My boys on the chat, my guys Chip and George and all those dudes that I, I holla at, my man Vaughn, I holla at them like, yo, you ready for this game? I'm all pumped for it. It's a 307 first pitch. So you feel like, hey, good or bad, you still have your night to you. And then it started. And it was it was one of those games that I was itchy about from the very beginning of it. And and I know our very own Chris Tannehill talked me not off the ledge, but he kind of gave me some balance last pod. I don't even know if I need that balance this pod, Chris, because in the end, you got hit around and your offense didn't get much going until what, the eighth inning, like against a team like the Astros. And by the way, no matter how you feel about the Astros cheating scandal and all the other stuff that that goes along with them, they got a damn good team, man. You got, you got dudes who are batting champs hitting fifth in the lineup. (laughs) You got, you got Brantley out there. I mean, Jake Myers, for God's sakes, came up big. They, they got a damn good team. You know, there's a reason why they're in this position. There's a reason why the last four or five years they're, they're, they're the best team in the American League. I mean, Jose Altuve with the terrific slide over the tag of Yasmani Grandal. Uh, 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 more itchiness. Uh, you, you walk, what, you, the two leadoff walks come around to score. Great 
base running by uh, Jordana Alvarez. I mean, these are the things, the little things that you worried about throughout the Sox season. They're magnified, especially when every pitch counts. And I I wasn't on the ledge when the game started. I wasn't on the ledge when it was getting bad. I just realized it was getting bad. And, you know, the the momentum of the game, I know people are going to get mad at me, but the momentum of the game was definitely not in the Sox favor when it started to go downhill. And even after the game, I mean, Lance Lynn, a lot of people are talking about Lance Lynn shouldn't have got the ball game one. Lucas Giolito should have gotten it. You know, you, you go out there with your ace, you go out there with your bulldog, you go out there with the dude who put you in that position from Jump Street when it when this season started. I'm not mad at Tony LaRusso for making that decision. A lot of people were asking about Cesar Hernandez instead of Adam Engel and some of the other lineup situations that they threw out there. But this is a Sox offense that, uh, for lack of a better word, has been inconsistent. You know, they, they, they'll score a ton of runs, and then they'll, they'll score two or three runs over the next two or three games. So hopefully game two, you, you go back to the drawing board. And even Lynn Casper and Darren Jackson on the radio call were talking about it. When you know things aren't, your, aren't going your way, when the, when the tide isn't going to turn, the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings are for you to feel better about in game two, right? Pushing towards their offense, feeling better. And, of course, Yoan Mankata got on. Tim Anderson got on. Uh, you know, uh, Jose Abreu drives him in. Um, and, and, you know, the, the bullpen – what can you say, right? I mean, you know, five earned runs given up by by uh, uh, Lance Lynn, and the rest of the game you gave up one. So I'm not mad at it. Um, uh, it's unfortunate. It sucks. But it's against a damn good team. And this team is going to have many bites at the apple. And, no, I'm not already eliminating them from the playoffs right now. But you, you want to get at least one in, in the first couple of games, you're going to have to win Right, you're gonna have to win on their home turf because it's a five-game series. So I'm not mad, Chris. I, I'm just I'm slightly disappointed in some of the uh, some of the little things. Some of the little things. Like I'm not mad at Yoan Moncada going home on that play. Right? I mean, it, it's it's a big swing in terms of momentum. Again, if you make that play, Yoan Moncada has picked the ball up as well as anybody has, especially the last couple of months of the season at the hot corner. So I'm not mad at Yoan Moncada on that play. And even when AJ talked about. Uh, Luis Robert, uh, I won't say nonchalantly, I guess was the term he used, uh, that that route that he took in center that that uh, allowed Alvarez to go from second to third on the on the sack fly. Like, I, I didn't think it was nonchalant, but if a baseball player says it is, then I got to go with A.J. Przinsky on that. I mean, there was just little things, and little things that get you beat, and the White Sox got beat. Um, is it, There isn't, like, some mystery to this game. You know, Lance Lynn, he, afterwards, Tony La Russa talked about the assortment of pitches that he, did, he didn't use. Uh, his sequencing was off, I think was Tony's comments. And immediately when I heard that, I thought, okay, who's that on? Is that on Yasmani? Is that on Tony? Is that on Lance Lynn? Lance Lynn has been that dude all year long. So if he's shaking you off and he wants to go with something else, that's on Lance Lynn. I mean, he's, he's earned that respect as a pitcher, a starting pitcher in the major leagues, and a damn good one, especially this year. And he throws, what, 87 88% fastballs as it is so you're talking about a sinker you're talking about a four seamer you're talking about a cutter mixes in a slider occasionally I don't know what the sequencing that he was looking for that wasn't there in the first couple of innings but he just you can't walk guys and when you walk guys and they come around to score you deserve what you get so take it back to the drawing board uh need Eloy to you know to (sighs) need Eloy to be Eloy right and 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 some of the bigger bats in this lineup so I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. You know, I know I sound like a, a you know a dad right now, but I'm not angry. You know, it was it was an unfortunate game one, and you and you get another crack at it tomorrow. 
Yeah, absolutely, Jay. And you know, getting back to to Lance Lynn and the sequencing, I, that was that that struck me too as being a bit odd. The way that was such yeah. a, a big emphasis in the post game, because as you mentioned, Lance Lynn is pretty much a one pitch pitcher. I mean, he just throws the fastball, moves it, cuts it uh, any amount of different ways. But that's typically the catcher that's 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 putting the signs down back there. And mm-hmm. I, I would think you know Lance Lynn does mix in the sinker quite a bit. You know, when he's out there typically, but I'm wondering if they wanted to move away from that. Because the Astros are an elite contact team, yeah, so they want to yeah. eliminate those ground balls, and you ended up getting them anyway. But you know, I thought Lynn early on the stuff wasn't bad. You know, the good velocity, he was hitting ninety five, I think, and the stuff was moving. But ultimately, you know, the same things that that you know stay the same about this game. You can't walk the leadoff man, especially against nope. a good team like that in their ballpark. And to me, it gets back to that. You can say what you want about the wild pitch, pass ball, and, and and all the little things and stuff like that, but that's just something that you cannot have from your number one starter is walking the leadoff man because, like you said, came around to score both times. And that's not the difference in the game right there, but I think this was a winnable game early on. And when you yes. are going up against a guy like McCullers, who Dude. is one, one of the best pitchers in baseball, <laughs> I don't know how anyone hits that ever, uh, to be <laughs> honest with you, um, but when when you go up against a guy like that, there's a very slim margin for error early on in the game, and when you're issuing the free pass to an, uh, an outstanding offensive team like the Astros, you just you can't have it. Can't do it, Henry. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, you can't do it. You know, you got to go home. <laughs> he's uh, he's he's uh, dude. Lance McCullers is out here sticking it in your ears, sticking it in your wrists, like he wherever he wanted to stick it, he could stick it. You know what I mean? Before without getting too X-rated on on the pot here, but Lance, I, I'm and you know. The thing too, like I'm looking at him and I'm like, oh, this son of a bitch knows how good he is too, right? Like, oh, oh you know what I mean? Like, oh shit, he's doing this so effortlessly. You know what I mean? He goes 95. I'm not even, I'm not even warmed up yet. He goes 95. Sit your ass down. The first 10 batters, I'm like, all right. It's like the Gas House Gang in the Bugs Bunny cartoon. Like, one, two, three, you're out. One, two, three. Yeah, it was, it was tough, man. Ironically, though, Jay, like I thought early on in the game, the Sox had a pretty good approach against him. They were working deep counts, and they were trying to take the ball the other way. I think that's what you have to do against a guy like that. But ultimately, he made his pitches, and the, the contact that he did give up was really soft. More often than not, right back to the pitcher. Like That's just yeah. an ideal day for a pitcher like that. But you, you got into that bullpen a little bit, and you, 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 your hope here is that you, you tax them a little bit today, carried that into tomorrow, as you said, and they've got Valdez going tomorrow, but you know you, you see a pathway here to to steal game two and come back feeling good about yourselves because and and Jose Abreu, man, this guy, dude, you know, dude, go, doing what he did out there. out there, he should not have been out there. Um, and, and you know, you, you, it's always a tough spot when an athlete's in a post game talking about how they're not a hundred percent, you know. But but you you know what it is like. He probably wouldn't have been out there in, in a normal situation before the game. Tony said, "Well, you know, he's in there because if he wasn't in there, you'd see the the spike marks." on my chest from from Jose kicking me you know so this guy's just a warrior out there and he was one of their biggest offensive threats out there today but you know it shouldn't be that way and and I would have liked to have seen Luis Robert hit higher up in the order you know he had been hitting in the in the two spot for the better part of the last month being one of the best players in baseball and they bumped him down in the order today and he still got on base three times but yeah I mean I don't think any lineup construction would have saved this offense today against McCullers but you know you got one more shot at it tomorrow with Lucas Giolito I don't know if you heard about him Jay 2018 <laughs> worst pitcher in baseball <laughs> shout out and even then he was good against the Astros so you know uh, it's, it's a lot on his shoulders but he's been in this spot before uh being a number one starter in the postseason so they're going to need him to to have a big outing uh, tomorrow afternoon 
And apparently uh, the, the White Sox staff was enthused, encouraged about the side session for Carlos Rodon. So you'll get him. Uh, well, yeah, I know. I know, dude. I, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm trying to work here. I, I'm trying to be positive, but you may not even get there with another offensive outing like you oh, had today. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're, I think they're going to come back strong tomorrow. Son of a bitch. Danny, you're supposed to be the one helping me off the ledge. You're not, you're not supposed to put WD-40 under my heel and a banana peel on the other one. Like, what the hell are we doing out here, man? Oh, God. All right, man. Carlos Rodon, you know, the side session, they feel good about it. Lucas Giolito has to be the best pitcher in the playoffs in 2021. Um, <laughs> and, and this is the other thing. Small margin fair against that squad, man. You could tell the White Sox outfielders don't know the dimensions or aren't used to the dimensions out there in the outfield because Luis thought that ball was gone. <laughs> so he, he lets that joint bounce off the ricochet off the wall. Yeah, that dumbass ballpark down there in Houston. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I screw that dumbass ball. I hated it when it was when it was like the, the dumbass hill and the foul this the pole in the middle of the damn, you know, center field. You got you got idiots running up a hill. Like hey, screw that damn park, man. Like I know, I know I should feel good about it because that's you know the last time I saw the glory, but no, nah, screw that park. And the day yeah, stupid shit. You know what I mean? Just, just dumb shit. It's, it's, it's like the fever dream that's in Miami. That that was like the precursor to it. Like, hey, let's put a bunch of dumb shit in the ballpark and have people run into it and have our guys who play at home here kind of understand it. So yeah, man, um, it's the beauty of baseball, hanging on every pitch, but. I got to be honest. Sixth inning, I was like, all right, let me jump in the car, go get my kid from daycare and listen to the game on the radio. Yeah, man. I, I was taking vigorous <laughs> notes for the first four <laughs> innings, and then after that, just stopped. You know, it's like, what are we What are we doing here? You know what right, I mean? Like, right. So we know what this game is at this point. Yeah, we've seen too many of these, right? So Sox fans, don't worry. And if you do, I'm sure it'll be paid off, you know, like, like all of our worries usually are. Um, uh, hopefully, hopefully this, uh, this opening segment got you what you needed in terms of a little therapy. I know people thought, you know, they, they, they just thought I was going to come in here and do what I normally do, which is curse and scream. By the way, John Yastrzemski, kiss my ass, JJ, because he, he texted me during the game with his betting shenanigans saying, hey man, get your socks together. I got, I got them and I'm invested in the series. Yeah. So JJ, we can't interact on that level, man. I, you know, I, I can't shoot Yankees, you know, crap at you right now because you ain't you ain't got nobody in the playoffs but shout out shout out to jj shout out to the new york new york podcast Sox fans we got uh we got a couple more of these to go so you know hold it together hold the line guys <laughs> hold the line i'm sure you're gonna be ridiculed for the next day or whatever until game two the next i guess you know 20 hours or so but yeah man uh we'll, we'll be in one of these green rooms and hanging out with you after game two but <sighs> that uh that was a kick in the rocks that I wasn't expecting. I, and I wasn't I, – I, there was a chance, obviously, that they were going to lose game one. I just you, – you hate to see it that way where the offense gives you bupkis and then you're running in the outs and it was just – yeah, it's just – it's not the national look that I wanted for this squad. So take it back to the lab. Enjoy yourself in Houston tonight and then get back at it for game two. Chris, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you shepherding me up the mountain of Sox worry and uh, all we got to do is roll our dumb asses back down it at some point here in the next three or four days. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't make it seem like I left you up there. I abandoned you on top of the, the Sox Mountain of Dread. <laughs> Sorry, right. man. You're, you're on your own, Veer. See ya. <laughs> As I get a private plane on my way down, I just leave you up there. I don't mean to do that. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like a scene from The Golden Child where I'm just up there. 
I want the playoffs. <laughs> All right, screw this. On to the next segment. Speaking of the green room, yeah, I mentioned it. We'll be in the green room together as Sox fans, as baseball observers, as baseball people hanging out after whatever game two brings us. Make sure you download the app for whatever phone you got out there. If you got a fancy iPhone like me or if you're one of these Android people who, like I used to be, whatever you need, go to your Google Play or your was it Apple you know, store, your app store, whatever the hell it is. I'm all out of sorts download the green room and uh hang out with us on spotify in that green room so yeah i'll be there and uh we'll be taking your live calls and if it goes long enough and if it's funny enough then you might make it to the next podcast it's the full goal, baby! Connect with the show 24-7 on the Full Gold voicemail line. Hit us up at 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. All right, your voicemail sucked, all right? So we only got two of them out of the batch. Do better, all right? So, Tanny, give us the two voicemails that we can listen to. Man, this is Chris over in Streeterville. I don't know what it is about the White Sox that just piss me off so much, but I am sick and tired of Tony LaRusso's old, <laughs> decrepit ass making any sort of decisions. How the hell do you have Lance Lynn start this game? And his ERA is damn near north of nine. I don't know what the hell is going to happen, but I need these janky fucks to get their shit together. Or I'm going to be real pissed this winter. Thanks as always, Jason. Appreciate you, bro. Um, Did he say janky F-bombs? Right. I was like, oh, I thought he was maybe like one of the Dominican or Venezuelan homies talking about the Yankees. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know what to say to that, man. I mean... He's been your dude. Like, were you not going to pitch Lance at some point in this series? I got you, man. Chris, I understand you're upset. We're all upset. I am uh, I am disguising my anger through laughter, which is what I normally do these days. But, yeah, I, I get it. But I don't. We didn't talk about it in the first segment. What did you make of Lance Lynn staying in there for that extra inning as long as he did? Because they had Lopez warming. Uh, at the end of the third, and they still bring out Lynn back for the fourth, and he, he gives up uh, even more runs there. What, what did you make of that move by Tony? I thought that was maybe he should have pulled the trigger a lot sooner. I know that's your ace, that's your hoss, yeah, but yeah. Uh, that, was, that was a tough look for him out there today. Yeah, not to be mistaken for a hossa uh, or Marion Hossa. Um, so this is the thing. I know it's not going to matter here and now and, and matter to Sox fans, but that's one of those moments where it's like, hey, if we get beat, hey, guess what? Next year, anytime that I want you out of this damn game, you're coming out of the game, you know? And you can't, you can't burn a playoff game with it, but you look your guy in the face and he's telling you, no, let me stay in this joint or I'm okay or, you know what I mean? He gives you, he lets you, lets, makes you feel like he's, he's okay and then he goes out there and gives up the booty again. Next year, you got to be like, hey, Lance, went with you, got rocked. You got to trust me from here on out. And not saying that he doesn't trust Tony, but, you know, it's hard not to have confidence in a guy even if you feel that his confidence is winning or his stuff is winning or the sequence of pitches. I can't wait till we get further explanation about the sequencing of the pitching. But I can dig it, Chris. I can dig it. But at some point, you're going to have to pitch Lance Lynn, uh, whether you're up 1-0 or down 0-1 or starting the series. He was going to get the ball at some point. So 
That's why you acquired him, right, for moments like this. What's going to happen in the pregame tomorrow? Are they going to ask Grandal about the sequencing? Is he going to say they should sequence in some strikes next time? Yeah, exactly. Put the finger down and throw strikes. Which finger would you like to make you throw strikes? As my man Herb Lawrence would probably put it. Hey, go be a better pitcher. There's the pep talk. Now get your ass out on the bump. Uh, all right, our final voicemail of the night. Here it is. Jason, Sam from Westtown. Uh, first time caller, long time, I guess, with the eight episodes so far listener, but really loving it. Uh, keep killing it <laughs> on the podcast and everything else you do. Um, I'm driving back from watching the game with my dad, game one. Sox lost, what, 6-1, six, six, whatever it was. And I'm strangely calm. Uh, obviously, Lynn didn't have it tonight or t- earlier today, afternoon game. Um, Lynn didn't have it, but more frustrating to me was the offense because we did see stuff this season uh, where they were kind of going to these droughts, and I was kind of hoping that they might start to uh, cut that out come, you know, the playoffs. Um, but it's just the first game, and I, the weird thing to me is just how kind of calm I feel now. Don't quote me on any of this because if yeah. they go down 2 nothing after uh, tomorrow's game, uh, I'll probably be in a, in a different place. Um, but, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if it's just getting older or what, but I feel like this game – would have totally ruined uh, my day at some other point in my life, but I'm kind of I'm kind of in a in a different place now. So uh, let's get him tomorrow, Giolito on the bump, and uh, see what happens. Anyway, uh, loving the podcast and uh, enjoying listening. Well, thank you, brother. Um, yeah, I think I'm in the same space as you, where you know you figure it out as you go along. You don't have to be too upset about it. Uh, you got your ass beat by a really good team, and you got your ass beat by a really good pitcher. Um, you don't expect it, especially with how deep this offense is. But good pitching beats good hitting in the playoffs. We've seen it time and time again, and we saw it this time with Lance McCullers. So that's our voicemail segment. Appreciate you guys for calling us up and uh, dropping a dime on us. Whatever you're feeling, and anytime, you can hit us up on the voicemail. Uh, make sure the takes are fresh, fun, interesting. Whatever you need to get off your chest, we are here for you on the Full Go Podcast. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Lance Briggs. You're listening to the full goal with Jason Goff. So JT knows that he's on here to talk about the White Sox game one, right? Is that... <laughs> oh man welcoming in to the full go podcast with jason goff former nfl quarterback now the head coach of patrick henry high school football ladies and gentlemen jt o'sullivan joining us here uh jt i gotta say this man and i'm i'm not one of these dudes who like uh you know i just i just found him or i i heard him talking about it or i read it i was listening to adam hogue and adam john's podcast and you were on there talking about Justin Fields and Matt Nagy and the Chicago Bears and just quarterbacking in general. I was like, holy Christ, this dude is amazing. Like, I've always found it so interesting that the dudes who are the journeyman quarterbacks or the quarterbacks who, you know, bounce around the league or, you know, don't have the, the critical acclaim that others do that can talk about the game in the fashion that you can. Obviously, the Hall of Famers do it and some do it better than others, but quarterbacking, the art of quarterbacking, like when did you realize not just your talent, but that you understood things or that you can comprehend and relay things the way that you can? Because I, you know, dense concepts are hard to break down for a lot of people and put it in the ways that you put it. And I'm sitting there in the car getting ready to walk the dog. The dog is sitting in the back of the car like, nah, man, we got to we got to wait. I got to hit the rest of this. So when did you know that talking football and relaying these kinds of concepts would be uh, a cool thing to do? Well, I appreciate the kind words. 
I'm not sure I do do that all the time. <laughs> uh, it pro- honestly, I, I don't really know. I think it, it came from a lot of those things. You know, certainly the experience of bouncing around helped. Uh, I think pretty early on bouncing around, I realized that it could be a strength of mine to be able to learn stuff quickly and and be the guy who could come in and be serviceable if I had to, that type of role. And so the more offenses I was in, the more ways I saw it done organizationally, offensively, coaching-wise, uh, I just tried to soak up as much as I possibly could and kind of put away the stuff that I didn't love. And then I kind of took a sabbatical from ball. I just got burnt out, bouncing around, you know, playing. The, the league basically kicked me out. And so I, I got a chance to I got a chance to go back to school. And going back to school for me uh, opened my eyes just about communication and, and all those types of things about pulling things apart and putting them back together. And I just kind of enjoy that part of it. And then done with school, looking for something to do, kind of put my toe back in the ball. My brother was in the online content game a little bit. And so he really thought that this would be a good idea and kind of a niche that was out there. Cause there are, you know, you, you, you know, you know, in the, in the media game, there are, there's always the next guy getting retired. There is always the next guy coming for you. You know, it's just, a, it's a, it's an intense landscape. And I didn't, you know, I'm just not interested in moving. And so I was, this kind of fit me and I was, it provides a lot of freedom. I can do whatever I want, talk about whatever I want. I try to do, I hope that that comes across and how I enjoy the content as well. But I really do. I just try to put out there what I wish was there when I was really soaking up information, when I wanted to learn everything I possibly could. And I felt like there were nuggets that were like hidden behind the curtain, the veil of secrecy of the league, or, you know, how is this, you know, this guy is a coach's kid. How does he get access to this information? Stuff like that, where I just, I wanted to know. And so now I got a platform to share it and I really enjoy it. That, that's the other thing. I would never have thought that I enjoy it as much as I do. So I appreciate it. So before we get to the Bears and Matt Nagy and Justin Fields, I, I've always, I'd love to pick your brain on this because I always thought, even as a kid, like watching high school football and then college football as you grow, uh, I always thought that the mobile quarterback a while ago before it became you know, the, the norm, the regular, uh, I always thought the mobile quarterback was the worst coach position in all of sports because in high school it was all right you tuck it and run if you don't have that first that first read because we got to win games right and then you you elevate to the next level and you see these guys who have been practicing in California and Texas their entire lives and going to these quarterback camps you know completing five and seven step drops and getting rid of the ball on time and all those things I thought that that mobile quarterbacks would put at a disadvantage I, I'd like to ask you now that we've come of age where if, you, if you're not moving around a little bit not even having to run around but if you can't move a little bit then you might be a sitting duck and you might not last long in the NFL what's the next evolution of NFL quarterbacking that we're seeing that could start at either the high school or foot or, or college level that you see you know bubbling up like the the exploitable uh, evolutionary period when it comes to the quarterback position these days that you you think is going to ne- be the next thing or is there a next thing have have we created the ultimate quarterback already and we just try to figure out who's going to be the next one Oh, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, I will say that I think it'll be fascinating as those quote unquote guys, players that you're talking about become the coaches, Hmm. Uh, you know, that as the transition for what that looks like, as far as the dual threat mobile, however you want to frame it, once they become the uh, composer of the offense, you know, what does it look like? What does the freedom of it look like? How are those things packaged together? I think for me, selfishly, and I, I, this is not a new statement by me by any means, but I would love to see multiple quarterbacks play. I, I think it's a, I think it's a dated, 
I think it's a dated uh, way to go about football to think that only one guy can get out there and do that. I think it goes back to the idea of we're going to huddle and only have one person talk and those types of things where now, you know, you look across the landscape of the league, there certainly aren't many guys on each squad, but there are guys, you know, I just as a coach, I love to have the threat of someone be able to throw it, someone be able to run it, multiple aspects of it. So I wouldn't be shocked if I start seeing that, you know, kind of similar to how I think about the uh, like the NBA, like guys mm-hmm. being able to guard every position, got all of a sudden now everybody can shoot, you know, little things like that where it might not be everybody, you know, but that idea that someone's going to try that, you know, mm-hmm. it would be obviously it's a luxury at certain at lower levels to have multiple guys who could do it. But man, you look across, there's a, there's a lot of guys, a lot of young guys playing the position at a really high level and it would be a bummer to have them sitting on the sideline. Yeah. I remember when you had to be six foot three or six foot four to be uh, a quarterback and Doug Flutie was the anomaly. Now all of a sudden we're talking about Kyler Murray as an MVP candidate, uh, raw materials being equal. And we know they never are, but in this instance, do you think that more quarterbacks are developed or ruined once they get to the NFL? <laughs> uh, I've never thought about it from that lens. Uh, back to the height thing, though, I will tell you that one of the hardest days for me playing professional football was at the combine getting hit with six one, <laughs> six one and seven eighths, six one and seven eighths. You're looking at your license like, come on, man, give me six. I was like, I remember looking at the dude like, just like, and he was just like, you're killing me, assassinator. Yeah, I was like, come on, man, that's brutal. Uh, you know. I don't know. I think that there, I think that it's hard to say quote unquote ruined, you know, and you already touched on it a little bit because you can't take the context out of the position. You really can't. And you know, the best guys are going to go to the worst franchises and the worst teams, the worst rosters. So, so much of it is luck, but I really do think that there is a void of development and it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, you, you start making excuses a little bit when you start talking about why there is a void of development, but really the pipeline, and this goes back into a whole different conversation, but the pipeline for a lot of offensive coordinators, head coaches is through that quarterback room. And so the best of the best, as far as the people who are able to develop you are not going to be there very long. You know, you're never going to have a quarterback coach. That's great for five years. You're just not like, that's, that's not, that's a, that's a trajectory to be onto the next. And so Finding that, making it a priority, uh, you know, there's so many things that go into it. But, man, luck and health, you know, are not the sexy things that people want to talk about. But, damn, they really impact so many careers. So I, I, I watched Russell Wilson at the beginning of his career when he had Marshawn Lynch and he had the Legion of Boom. And, you know, the, the dynamic of you know, winning while a quarterback is in that rookie deal and then obviously stripping away pieces once you have to pay him. But, you know, Russell Wilson wasn't slinging the ball 35, 40 times a game in the beginning of his career. Is there a, is there a certain amount of exposure that a quarterback needs to not only ascend, but also understand what the game is. Like you, you saw Russell and it was play action pass, take your deep shots when you could or whatever the case may be, but they weren't putting the game into his hands. Then you saw gradually those attempts getting up to 400 a season and now he's the whole damn team. So what's the best way to bring in an NFL quarterback that you think should be a starter from not only day one, but for your franchise's foreseeable future? I mean, I, I think that's a great blueprint. You know, I think you got you look at another easy comparison to a little bit early on in the career is Tom Brady. The same way you see the evolution of how he came into the league, the stats, and then him coming into his own and really taking that thing over offensively. And I, I think it comes with, like anything, 
you know, comes with a little bit of experience, comes with understanding the timing, uh, all the things that go into playing the position, the situational football, but then just your, your comfort level of being able to, it's a, it's such a different experience to be, Hey, I don't have to go out there and win the game. Like I just have to manage it. And, and, and that kind of gets into a whole different box, but I have to go out there, protect the football, be smart, make sure we're in an opportunity to win it as opposed to saying, Hey, I got to go out there and fling it and we got to make some plays. And I got to, I got to feel like we got to score, you know, X amount of touchdowns to make sure we got a shot. It's different when you feel like, Hey, my defense is balling. We need to make sure we are smart on offense, protect the ball. It's okay to punt, you know, learning those types of things that are not necessarily the norm in college. Like I always joke, but there are many quarterback rooms when I was playing in the league used to have a sign that said, it's okay to punt on third down after a completion. And I remember looking at it the first time. I'm like, well, we're not punting. But sure as hell, you know, third and 15, I'm throwing a check down, bro. Like immediately, like that, that's an easy lesson to learn. And you learn the faster you learn it, the the longer you're going to be able to continue to go on Sundays. But it's little things like that where you just have to change your mindset. But the development thing, you know, so much of those, again, you, you're talking about guys who are in catching those organizations on an upward trajectory. You know, th- those are guys that those franchises are going in the right direction when they start playing as opposed to some of the young guys now that are maybe struggling uh, early in the season, that those franchises are not on an upward trajectory. You know, they're in a transition. They've got staff issues. They've got new staffs. They've got all sorts of new stuff as opposed to kind of catching lightning in a bottle with a six-round pick or a fourth-round pick right. or and a really developed roster and defense. And so, again, context matters in all these things. So I probably should have asked you this at the beginning, but – what are the things that matter with a prospect or a quarterback period? You know, we always used to hear about guys being on their, or the famous Kyle Bowler situation where he threw from his knees for 50 yards. I'm like, hey, if a dude got to throw from his knees 50 yards down the field, you might be in, you might be in trouble already. But what, what are the things that matter? Timing, accuracy, footwork. Um, obviously, when, the, when you've got one of more and less of the other, sometimes they balance out. But if J.T. O'Sullivan is, is building a quarterback, what are the things that matter to you? And what do you think the things that we hear so often that really don't matter inside those quarterback rooms? Uh, yeah, don't let me off the hook with the answer in this, but I want to say a Kyle Bowler story about that knee throw for me. And I remember <laughs> being in – we were in – I was in Green Bay, and the, the offense coordinator at the time – God, what was his last name? Rossley, Tom. Okay. Uh, he loved he loved Kyle Bowler coming out, and it really chapped Brett. It chapped Brett, and so we played him. I want to say we played him like on Christmas or Christmas Eve or something. And Kyle didn't play well, and we were good. We won the division. Brett's playing great, and uh, um, and uh, Monday after we're watching the film, and he's like, "Hey Tom, should have told Kyle to play from his knees." And, you know, just like the goat, just like don't come at don't come at me with who your prospect is, right, uh, right. But yeah, no, I mean stuff like that. Arm strength matters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it does. You know, you can't go out there. You know, I was a guy who probably threw a little bit more changeups than most guys in the league. But you know, comes with that. You got to learn pretty quickly about anticipation and ball placement. You know, if I'm looking at one thing. And this is really any level of football. The thing that I think is the hardest to develop is just your arm speed. Now, there are ways nowadays you get in biomechanics and all whatever, whatever you can, especially at the highest levels, you can accelerate your bat swing, your your switch, your arm thing. But you either can throw it or you can't throw it as far as the movement skills of it. From there, I think the most important thing at any level, especially playing quarterback at a high level on Sundays, is accuracy and ball placement. And you, I, I really think you can develop that. 
I really do. I, I think some people don't necessarily always agree with that. Now, there might be a kind of range you can develop in, and it might be different right. for certain people. But uh, I think accuracy is the most important thing. And then the, the harder thing to measure is really just the decision-making element of it and what that looks like. And then again, so much of that is tethered to your system, your coaching, what you're being asked to do, because there might you might be being asked to only go out there and throw screens and run zone read. Or you get into the league, you're being asked to do you know full field reads, seven step drops, different things that uh, that you're not asked to do, and so that's the really hard part where you're trying to project it. But if I'm looking at just first couple of things, it's accuracy, ball placement, and then like the the secret sauce for me is when I see anticipation. Uh, those are the things that jump off the film for me. I love seeing capital A anticipation. JT O'Sullivan joining us here on the Full Gold Podcast with Jason Goff. As always, brought to you by The Ringer and Spotify is the gang. All right, we can jump into it. We can jump into the the abyss that has been the Bears quarterback situation for the last – I'm 40, so mm, – 40 plus years. Uh, no, no shade to you, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm older. I'm older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, the Justin Fields saga, you know, uh, I didn't know what I was going to be as a fan this year before the draft. And then when it happened, I'm like, oh, shit. They drafted one. They drafted a guy uh, coming out of the draft. I thought he was going to be the best quarterback of the, of the bunch. Uh, and then. The season starts and all preseason. I even mentioned on his pod, he did everything but cure cancer at Hallis Hall this preseason. Then all of a sudden we get into the games and Andy Dalton was the starter. And when's Justin going to get in the game? Then we have that game against the Cleveland Browns and Miles Garrett and Joe Woods is all defense. And it was just bad. It was bad top to bottom. Then we get Bill Lazor calling plays and all of a sudden things look a little bit different. We actually have something to evaluate. Um, what does Justin Fields do well, and how does it fit in Matt Nagy's scheme if he's the play caller? Because it seemed, obviously, that there was differences in between game one of his career and game two of his career. But what does Justin do well? What does he have to work on? And what have you evaluated in those eight quarters of football that he's played so far? Well, I mean, uh, it's no secret to the people that, that do the, the quarterback school on YouTube that, for me, is I'm a huge Justin Fields fan. I really am. And I, I kind of agreed with you uh, as far as coming out for me that, you know, I, I think that there have been a number of mistakes made just in this small window of him in the league. I would love to have seen him just be able to play immediately. You know, I, I, I think if you go to an NFL practice, mm-hmm. even guys on the roster can tell immediately if there's someone significantly better at their position than they are. And that's no shade to Andy Dalton. The guy's been in the league for a long time, played at a high level. But when you watch Justin Fields throw and you watch Andy Dalton throw, he should have been playing from day one, in my opinion. Uh, so that that was kind of the first critical error. From there, the things that I think Justin Fields does well, that especially showed up versus the Lions, and I get it, it's the Lions, but he drives the ball down the field as well as anybody. Like I can think of like a big dagger route that he ripped off play action. That ball, this uh, corner on the sideline, touch, driving the ball, the big post or seven pump uh, earlier in the game. Those are massive throws God, that not everybody in the league can make. And so I don't know how, you know, those are the things that I want to see. And I want to, those are the things that he can do now immediately. I still think that there are layers that they are not using for whatever reason in his just quarterback run game. You know, I, I still think that there are, will be 
continued development and things where he specifically on third down where, you know, whether it's the protection issue when we're getting a free runner or he's getting hit on what potentially could be a hot. And again, if, if I'm not in the quarterback room, I can't tell you who for sure is at fault, but someone's at fault hmm. and it's third down. And you know, they're not going to stop blitzing other NFL teams. See the tape. They get the same breakdowns. It's going to keep getting heated up on third down. So they have to solve that issue. But man, I just love when he's able to get a pocket ability to throw on time, drive the ball down the field, and then the other thing that I think he'll continue to get better at as he gets more and more coached specifically from the pocket, but his footwork when he's locked in and he keeps a strong base and all his cleats are in the ground and he's really firm, he's as accurate as anybody. When for when he gets a little toesy and starts getting his feet together, you can see the ball sail like that one over early in the game. It's wide open. They get mm-hmm. a completion, but that should have been more. Well, you look at his feet and they're all kind of sideways and out of touch. And so – as those things are what I would consider pro-polished. I mean, he's certainly good enough to go out there and win games. But when they get pro-polished, I think that's when you see the leap in the accuracy, the ball placement, the ball control, I think that we're all excited to see. College Open versus NFL Open. Darnell Mooney was running around NFL Open against that Lions secondary. And a guy like Allen Robinson, who's looking for a new deal and, you know, is is the best receiver on the team. We saw him blanketed by Denzel Ward, who's one of the best in the league. And, you know, he, he made a couple of plays against the Lions. Uh, how, does, how does that affect Justin Fields in that offense and also the tight ends? I mean, Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham haven't been as involved as I would hope they'd be. And they're always here for a young quarterback running game. The tight ends are what he should be leaning on. So what are you seeing in terms of his weapons and and how college open versus pro open is or is not affecting him and his decision making? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard for me to speak about any type of what they're because so much of it is relational, right? Like you go out there on the practice field and you get comfortable with body language and expectations and you can see a little bit on some of the things like uh, I think early on on third downs, they threw a couple what I would consider like nine stops like kind of like bang, bang plays on the wide receiver, a little fade stops. And those are timing routes, precision routes. And even if it's tight coverage, you can still hook those up when you're at the elite level. And so, you know, those things I think will continue to grow. Unfortunately, those relationships don't all grow at the same time. Right. So I think of it as like a weird, like, what is that? Like uh, math, like histogram, like where like one is high, one, you know, like, and then they right. fluctuate. They're not, they're not static. And so they'll continue to get better and better, but the, your point about college open and pro open to me is the one that really is is worth looking into because there is a big difference. And just what, especially for a guy, maybe for Justin Fields that I would consider coming from somewhere in Ohio State where maybe he could be able to see throws and then he's got a strong enough arm to rip it himself, you know, to see it and throw it as opposed to, hey, this is the shell. This is the coverage. I know it's going to be tight coverage, but this is where the ball has to go to get the ball out on time and rhythm where those things will continue to get better and better. But for example, one of the ones that jumps to my mind just from this weekend is there was a play where the protection for whatever reason, who knows what the issue is. He gets hit. He spins out great athletic dynamic play spins out, tries to throw it to the tight end down the field. He's covered, but the guy's back is to him. He could throw it anywhere, but he just misses it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's yards inside. And so to me, that's one of those ones in the league. That's wide open. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a miss. But when you look at it on film, you're like, well, he's kind of on him. But no, he's got his back turned. He's running. You're out of the pocket. You can make that throw all the time, 10 out of 10. So 
those are the throws that are that I'm excited to see kind of quickly improve. So <clears throat> I was listening to Bwani Jones and Dominique Foxworth talking about guys who are sea ball hit ball, right? Just dudes who are just out here. Troy Palomalu, I think, was the the um the the example that they gave. Just a dude playing on another level. And if Troy wanted to do something, then the other ten guys just had to understand that Troy was getting ready to do something. And he made enough plays, obviously, with a Hall of Fame career. Are there quarterbacks like that where it's see throw, make throw? Because whenever whenever I hear like who people who aren't or quarterbacks who aren't intuitive enough or instinctive enough, immediately it channels that pejorative of this guy's dumb. Or this guy's not processing information fast enough where sometimes you just see guys who hold on to the ball because they want to make a play. Is there is there a, a an IQ uh, quarterback situation that that sometimes we don't grasp as fans and observers? Whereas this guy just he, it's not that he's not seeing it is that he's so used to being a gunslinger or he's so used to trying to make the bigger play down the field that he's not processing the information that is maybe intermediate or short. And is Justin Fields maybe one of those guys. I mean, the answer to all that is yes, and it depends. You know, okay. yeah, yes, there certainly is an element of IQ to it. I, I really don't think. I think honestly that it's, there's kind of a sweet spot. You almost don't want to be too smart, right? You can kind of have a paralysis by analysis element, but you certainly have to be able to know what 11 people are doing and really 22 people are doing. But somewhere in the middle, it's a wide ass range. I, mm-hmm. I think for me. So much of it is, and, and this is the hard part, both in evaluation, projection, and when you even turn on the all 22, because some things that I see from younger guys, like I think of Josh Allen jumps to mind, what they're asking him to do in Buffalo is throw, at least last year, was throw a, a significant amount of crossing routes. Like everybody loves the new crossing route. They, like it's a brand new thing, middle field closed, <laughs> you're going to get crossing route. Well, the beautiful thing about the crossing route is you can see it, like you see it develop. So are they asking him to rip kind of like second hole anticipation deep ends like Kurt Warner back in the day? No, like that's not part of their DNA. That's not the way that the league is playing them on defense right now. So they don't have to do it. So are they asking Justin Fields to make a significant amount of anticipation throws down the field? No, you don't have to do it. So can he do it? I don't know. Like I'm not, but what I am seeing him do when he drops back in play action and drives the ball is it is special and elite. And so I get it as a coach too. Like you want to ask your players to do what they're good at. So that's what he's good at right now. Let's do more of that. So I also heard uh, the, the last time I heard you being interviewed, you mentioned static routes. And, and you just mentioned the crossing routes where guys are continuously moving. You know, we saw a couple of a uh, couple of plays against the Lions where the scramble drill is in play. And all of a sudden you got to guy, you know, short, intermediate, long guys got to know where they should be. Quarterbacks got to know where those guys are going to be. Uh, what could Bill Lazor or Matt Nagy do to make it easier in terms of the routes that these guys are running so that their quarterback not only can gain confidence, but also score? <laughs> So you're talking about on a scramble drill, what can they do? Or, or, or not even on a scramble, design plays. Like, you, are, are there too many, you know, hitch routes? Are there too many, you know, comebacks? Are there, you know, are, are guys being able to continue to use their feet through the progression of, of, of a read? Like, do you, are you seeing anything in terms of the route concepts that could be helped out by the play calling to make Justin Fields more confident? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right on with that. I, I think that for me, when you see – the, the plays that you see called on Sundays, 
to me are a direct reflection of how much the play caller trusts the quarterback. And so now I, I should bound that by saying there probably are some coordinators that are just like, yeah, this is what we do. You do what we do. And, and to a certain extent, like I think it's a fair criticism of the Chicago regime recently. Yep. Like I, 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 in the past, remember watching them run what I would consider a, a pretty common concept called scat Hank. And it's just like old school hooks over the ball. Like it's just, there's better, better stuff than that. But in addition this past weekend, I want to say it was on a third down. It might've been on an interception, the tip ball. They're running what most people would consider double slants and slant flat, what most people in the West Coast world will call Dragon Lion. To me, that's a mini camp one, practice one, install play. So it's not that you never call that, but it's saying it's in my, I'm a high school play caller. I give that to a co- to a quarterback when I need to know, hey, can you tell the difference between open and closed? Because like there's, if I know it's man, I'm going to give us better winners. If I know it's zone, I'm going to give us better winners. It's kind of a, it's a learning curve play. Now it didn't mean it was there and maybe that's what he loves to throw. And I, and I'm just, you know, making stuff up around it. But to me, I think that there are, when you look across the landscape of the league, when you're trying to create matchups versus your guys versus whatever coverage you anticipate specifically on third down, when you really can hone in on exactly what their exotics are going to be, that you want your best guy against their worst guy running away from it. You don't want him settling or being static or running spot or snag routes like the first completion of the game. The first completion of the game, I think he ran like a little spot or snag to the left side. Well, that's man coverage. You don't want that. That There is better stuff than that versus man coverage. It doesn't mean that you don't, you know, you take the completion, whatever. But just philosophically, you know, that's tough to play quarterback and have static routes versus man coverage. All right, we got a couple more minutes with you. Definitely appreciate your time, brother. Thank you. Um, in closing on the Justin Fields stuff, what do the Chicago Bears fans and the organization have in him if his potential can be realized? I mean, I, honestly, I, it's an exciting time. I, 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 don't, I shouldn't even put an artificial ceiling on it. I mean, he's. I think you, you see. I think I've seen flashes of what we can expect to be the norm. And that's dynamic throws down the field. That's one of the best athletes when he decides to run, scramble, drill, you know, scramble, third down, great first downs. I think it will get better and better. I don't think we've seen it yet. They really didn't have to in that game have any mm-hmm. sort of quarterback runs. But when we get to the red area, I would imagine quarterback runs. It, you know, it's it's as exciting as the time as I can remember for a Chicago, you know, quarterback fan to feel like, they've got the opportunity to be special on offense with that kind of playmaker. All right, as we let you go, worst day of your career and best day of your career, and hopefully the Jerry Springer story isn't in there. <laughs> and by the way, for the people listening, JT wasn't like some guest on Jerry Springer. I heard, I heard when you were on with Hogan Johns that, uh, that you had a chance to go to the Jerry Springer show while you were here in Chicago and didn't get a chance to actually pull it off. But well, best day of your career, worst day of your career? I mean, the worst day of the career is definitely probably any time you get cut. I mean, it, there was no like significant not, – not that there are surprises – but it's just the kind of finality of it. And that's just the real life. And it's part of being a pro for most of us. Uh, I'll give you the best day. Nah, there's a number of great days, but uh, my, one of my, one of my favorite memories specifically from Chicago and all my Chicago stories are usually Kyle Orton or Jeff Blake centric, but this one, Jeff Blake, he, he used to throw a beautiful deep ball. Yes, like I mean, did. beautiful. And I remember 
God, what was his wide receiver in Cincinnati? Darnay For, Scott, baby. Was it Scott? Darnay Scott and uh, Carl Pickens. Pickens, yeah, Pickens. He go, yeah. He would, he would throw like a deep nine ball, and I mean, <laughs> the thing looks like it's like dropped out of a helicopter, just uh-huh. like boom, perfect rotation turnover, and he'd be like, and they would drop it, and he would always, sometimes they would drop it, and he would always say. Can't catch it for you, bro. Yes, I've heard this story before. <laughs> and, I, and I say it all the time now. I, I steal it all the time. I'm like, hey, man, I can't catch that for you, bro. But yeah, just like just the most subtle shade just you can possibly imagine. Right, right. Yeah, but, yeah, but with a smile, you know, like, ah. Right, right. You're not as good at me at what you do as what I do. No, I can dig it. I can dig it. Sometimes you got to be an asshole. Professional discomfort is definitely in play right there. Uh, man, as we let you go, uh, again, uh, what you listening to these days, man? Old school, new school, whatever's in your, in your, you know, in your, what your, your iTunes, whatever. What, what you got these days, bro? I'm all uh, podcasts and audiobooks nowadays. Oh, look that's at a, you! Look at that's you, it, man. I can't. You I don't can't, want the kids to make it. fun of you. All right, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. No, I'm, hey. I've been out of the game too long. I mean, you still listen to music, JT. What the hell is it? You, you, you can't. You, you, you're out here putting together game plans oh. for the kids so much that you can't even you listen know. to music. My, uh, I'll tell you what, the only thing that pops up when I pull up my YouTube for music, this is the honest truth, is whatever my kids put in there. They, so my baby kids shark. right now, my kids are listening to Marshmallow Alone. I don't even, that tells you how old I am, bro. I can't, I right, so I, we've been trying to put together Spotify playlists for our interviewees, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if Marshmallow Alone going to make it, but rather I thank you. you so much. Hey, tell the people where they can catch your stuff, man. Oh, uh, man, my main spot is at... Uh, YouTube, the quarterback school, and then we do the Patreon thing. We do the courses, too, if you're looking to kind of elevate your football game. And so, yeah, it's mostly YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, JT O'Sullivan right here on the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff. And uh, find some marshmallow alone or whatever the hell he's listening to. Thank you, JT. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, Jason. What up, world? It's Vic Spencer, and you're listening to the Full Go with Jason Goff presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Hawks Talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. Hawks win! A spectacular play from Endan! Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. We really don't do intros on this pod set, so people are going to know who I'm talking to. Uh, you know, multiple-time All-Star. Uh, I-, I would say now the reigning king for hashtag Brothers for Hockey. It's something that I started probably about, I don't know, five, six years ago here in the city when the, when the Blackhawks were m- running around winning Stanley Cups left and right. Uh, you know, Dustin Bufflin and the boys, and then mm-hmm. you know, obviously you move on. The, the, the Blackhawks kind of they raised the spirits of brothers in this city who were like, you know what, the hockey is is for us too. And as a, as a kid, yeah. I was a big fan of Steve Larmer and Michelle Goulet and Jeremy Roenick and all those boys back in the day. And then to see this franchise raised to the heights that it rose to, and now uh, in this offseason, acquiring players like yourself and, of course, Mark, uh, this – Blackhawks thing. What do people say about the Blackhawks around the NHL? Because I remember when it was 5,000 people in the United States and, you know, the games, were, the home games were on TV, all that kind of vibe. And then all of a sudden, John McDonough and Rocky flipped the switch on this thing and turned it into a, a different, mm-hmm. a different uh, organization. What do people say about the Blackhawks around the league now? 
Well, I believe, you know, for me personally, um, I've heard nothing but great things about the Blackhawks. That's one of the reasons that, you know, you know, I wanted to be here uh, for the rest of my career. Uh, so I'm here another nine years and I couldn't be any happier with that. Um, like you said, um, you know, Rocky, they, they, everyone's done it here. has done a great job of, um, you know, making it a, you know, this team really part of the community, part of the city, uh, part of the identity of the city. And, um, you know, bringing, you know, three cups um, in the last decade has, uh, has definitely helped. You know, they've had some great players some Hall of Fame players. Um, we still do. Uh, we added Marc-Andre, another Hall of Fame player. Um, we had some other good pieces. Tyler Johnson has won a couple cups. Uh, so we got a lot of experience, I think. And um, I think it's going to help. You know, it's a good mix of older and younger guys um, that are kind of come in here and do a great job for our team. So I think everyone's extremely excited about this year. Uh, and I hope the city, uh, city is as well. Star defenseman Seth Jones joining us here on the Full Goal Podcast with Jason Goff. Brought to you by The Ringer and, of course, Spotify is the gang. I'm going to get all in your business, Seth, because this <laughs> I don't know how many times I'm going to have you, so we're going we're gonna to do it the way we're supposed to do it. Uh, obviously, Popeye Jones, it's, it's, it's well known, the story of the Jones family and how you became uh, such a stellar athlete and also with your brother as well, Caleb. Uh, Coming from the life of a basketball culture that you were surrounded by, and then all of a sudden jumping into hockey as a youth, uh, tell me what Joe Sackick and the Colorado Avalanche mean to you in terms of kicking off your career and love for this sport. Well, I mean, if it wasn't for for Sackick and, and the Avs and the team they had and, and the Stanley Cup they won in, in 2001, I don't think I'd be playing hockey. Um, you know, it just – I think all the cards kind of lined up uh, the way they were supposed to. Uh, you know, my dad walking through the Pepsi Center, uh, now the ball ball arena now, um, with the old Pepsi Center and seeing Joe Sackett underneath and, and asking him, you know, my kids want to get into hockey. What, what do they do? What do I do? Because I have no clue. Um, <laughs> and he said, give them a skating lesson. So that's what we did. Uh, me and my two brothers, that's what we did. Did it for a whole year uh, before we even started playing hockey. So we kind of got the fundamentals of that down and, um, you know, skating is obviously a huge part of the game today. You, know, you can't skate. It's, it's going to be tough to play. So um, I give Joe, Joe Sackick a lot of credit for, for that uh, piece of advice. Yeah, you know, uh, my, my buddy Alex Brown, former defensive end of the Chicago Bears, got a kid playing baseball right now who's amazing. So I've always wondered when you're what you are in your sport and your dad was a professional in his sport, like you can get the tutelage and all that, but what is it like having a one-up on Pops, knowing the, the ins and outs of a sport, even though both of you guys, well, one was a professional athlete and now you're the professional athlete. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, completely different sports, you know, like you said, but um, I think we took a lot out of it when, you know, my dad was playing or whether he was a coach. Uh, we were always in the locker room, always seeing, you know, my most memorable moments are probably with the Mavericks um, from 07 to, you know, to the, like when they won the, the championship against LeBron in 2011. Mm -hmm. I was able to be in, a, you know, some of those locker rooms throughout the years and, you know, see how hard those guys work. You know, I'm 10 years old and are uh, 12 years old and, and seeing how hard Dirk Nowinski works and Jason Terry and Jason Kidd and um, seeing what actually goes into it behind the scenes. So uh, I got an, you know, I got an early look about, you know, how a pro athlete treats his body and what he does um, to be successful. And so, uh, you know, I definitely had an advantage there and so did, uh, so did Caleb, my brother. I was talking about Lonzo Ball the other day in this light. And, and it's, I think it's uh, applicable to you and your brother, uh, 
knowing a professional lifestyle. I, for me, Lonzo Ball, the, the new starting point guard for Chicago Bulls, I'm sure you guys are running to each other in the I city do. here. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, to me, he's been a professional since he was a junior in high school with all the, mm-hmm. uh, the acclaim, all the spotlight, and also the work ethic, like knowing, all right, I'm pretty damn good at this, and people think I'm pretty damn good, and I know what I want to do with my life. At what point did you realize, okay, I, I got to turn it into a profession? Yeah, I've loved doing this my entire life, but what? At what point did you start? Like, is it in Portland? Is is it before then? Is, mm-hmm. it, is it you know the draft? Is it the junior hockey situation? Like, what point are you like, you know what? I'm more than just nice at this. This has to become a business for me. Man, I, I think it just happens over time. You know, it's probably in your your mid-teens, I would say, maybe a little, you know, probably 12 to 14, 15, that age that you really start getting looked at by, you know, you start hearing noise, you know, it's just, it just happens. And, um, you know, the U.S. National Development Team, um, when I was, four, you know, 13, 14 and somewhere in there, started talking to me as well. So I knew I was, you know, at least one of the top 10 defensemen um, at my in my age group in the country for U.S. Uh, defenseman and you know from there it just you know you really start to realize that you can make a career out of this and and when you love something you know as much as I love hockey as much as you know we love our sport it's um you do everything you can you know I mean hockey's year-round you know everything I do in my life you know the season doesn't just end and I'm just like you know sure. do nothing for hockey <laughs> and then show up to camp and like you know it's it's training every day it's skating all the time in the summer it's a 12 month 12 month thing um, you know, because there's other guys working hard as well. So um, you kind of have to stay ahead of the curve if you, if you can. Um, but yeah, it's, it's somewhere in the mid teens where you really start realizing you can make something out of it. So you could tell me, cause you know, this, this podcast is only on episode 12, you know, it's, it's still bubbling up. You can tell me though, you want to kick the shit out of the Colorado avalanche every time you see them, right. For not drafting you number one. I, <laughs> I do. I do. I, 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 had a, I had a lot more fire in me, I think, um, you know, my first few years, you even, you know, but I think it's kind of dwindled down and I've, I've realized, you know, why they chose, you know, Nathan McKinnon who's a heck of a player. Um, but at the same time, I, I want to prove everyone wrong, you know, um, especially teams that passed on me. And, um, you know, I think you're always trying to, to prove that you're the best, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether it's your draft or, the best at your position. Um, so that's something I always strive for. How important to you is uh, your role in the game? You know, you, you, you look at guys like P.K. Subban and you yourself, and, and I, I, I jokingly, the hashtag brothers for hockey, but I was talking about from a fan perspective, like mm-hmm. players getting into the game. And, you know, a guy who, who uh, writes beautifully about hockey and, and played it uh, on a, you know, on, on a recreational level here in the city, Evan Moore, he and I have talked about, you know, the, the African-American involvement or just, you know, the black involvement in hockey. Uh, go back to Willie O'Ree, obviously when I was a kid, Anson Carter, guys like that, Mike Greer. Uh, what what kind of role do you play in not just that legacy of black hockey players, but do you understand the responsibility or do you just say, hey, I'm Seth Jones and you know this is what I am as a person, as a human, as a hockey player, and I just happen to be uh, a black kid? Or how do you how do you kind of n- navigate those waters? Uh, I mean, probably a little bit of both. I think the balance is good. I, I think that, you know, growing up, I never um, experienced racism. I was always taught by my mom and my dad that you're just like everyone else. Treat everyone with, with respect, how, you know, you want to be treated. 
Um, and that's what I've always tried to do. And that's how everyone's you know, treated me in the, in the game. I, I know that um, not everyone, you know, of African-Americans, you know, that have been in hockey have been treated fairly uh, or with respect and uh, some bad things have been said or have happened to, to a lot of players. Um, but I do understand at the same time, my responsibility to, to help grow the game, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I, I really like to do for young Afri- African-American kids to, to realize that, you know, they can play, they are the same, they, they can join the, you know, join the game of hockey um, and not get looked at funny or whatever the case is. So um, I do understand, you know, I'm definitely on both sides of that. Um, but I, you know, I always talk to my teams, whether it was in Nashville, Columbus or Chicago now, um, on different things we can do in the community to, you know, especially for me, because when a kid, you know, an African-American kid sees me, you know, playing hockey with them, it's a, it probably hits a little different for them yeah. as if, a, you know, a, a white guy, you know, a yeah. white player. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my kid is one of them. You can hear him on his podcast and some of the intros yeah. and outros. And he saw you he was watching some preseason hockey the other day and he saw mm-hmm. you and he saw your brother and he looks at me. First of all, my son thinks that every black person on television is me. So, you know, that, <laughs> that, that's just the start. And I'm like, nah, he got a few more M's and he look a lot better than me, baby. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. keep it moving. But it is real, man. It is real. And I can't wait to take him to a hockey game to see you sure. uh, shining. So let's talk about this team, man. Uh, big offseason, big, big overhaul to the roster, like you mentioned. A lot of new faces, but still some of the old guard, right? Patrick Kane, mm-hmm. this power play. Uh, Eddie Olchek was detailing what the power play is going to look like this season with you at the point. Uh, how does a power play come together? You know, I've always wondered with, with, with specialty teams, like understanding the chemistry in the mix, you know, throwing talent out there on the ice and trying to figure out who can gel with who. But at times it seems like they're the most talented players really don't um, they don't always mix in terms of the power play. How how are you and Kane and guys on that that, that PP1, uh, you know, not just gelling, but how do you find that mix and how long does it take with so many new faces? I think communication is the, is the most important thing. We do a lot of communicating uh, where we want each other to be on the ice. We do a lot of video, especially in preseason right now. We're always constantly working on it every day. So I think repetitions is important. Um, you know, and, you know, like, so Kane and Brinkat and Taze, they're, they're very familiar. And then you throw, you know, two new guys, you know, me and, me and Johnson on there. Um, so we all have to kind of find our, our niche on the power play, I think, and, and where, you know, Kaner's got the puck a lot. So, you know, obviously his input is a little bit more important you would say than, than someone else's just because he's controlling the puck. He right. knows where guys should be. He's setting guys up. Um, but I think we're going to have a great power play. We've got a lot of, a lot of talent. I think creativity is important on the power play um, and not kind of getting stuck in a set play. Uh, so when you can kind of ad lib a little bit, uh, figure things out together on the fly, you know, that definitely keeps the defense, uh, you know, on their heels a little bit. I've always wondered this too. Is it, is it disrespect to, to call a defenseman an offensive defenseman? Because as a kid, I used to come <laughs> up and, and, and hear, like, this guy's an offensive defenseman. And I'm like, oh, well, shouldn't he be an offensive player then? And then, obviously, you watch the game. Yeah. You're like, okay, the Ray Borks of the world and guys mm-hmm. like that, the ally of Freddy's. You're like, oh, if you got a hard slap shot and you score 15, 20 goals, they call you You're an offensive, offensive. defenseman. Yeah, yeah, so 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 uh, the, is the term offensive defenseman uh, disrespectful or is it just highlighting? I don't, think it's, I don't think it's disrespectful. I think you're definitely talking about a certain type of defenseman when you say that. Um, you know, I, there's offensive, there's two-way, 
defenseman, and then there's defensive defensemen. You know, just so the guys who have no offensive talent is what you say. Not necessarily no <laughs> offensive talent. It's just they know their role. They play their role to the best of their ability. They know what the team needs out of them, and that's what they do. Um, uh, and they're fine with that. You know, they make millions of dollars doing that. A lot of guys do. So um, it's kind of you know what your team needs at that time. Uh, but certain guys will develop and will start having that reputation, you know, in, within their careers or however they're playing, whatever their style is. So how does it feel to know that your brother scored a goal as a Blackhawk player before you did? How does that? Oh, how- shit, shit. He's, got, he's <laughs> one up me right now. I'm just waiting for him to – he's chirping me a little bit, so. Of course. Of wait, course. Oh, yeah, which you got you to see it coming. But um, I'll, I'll hopefully, hopefully I'll beat him in the regular season battle. So, you know, if I'm not mistaken, you're three or four years older than your brother, right? I'm two and a half. Two and a half? All right. I'll look at you. Two and a half. All right. So you're two and a half (laughs) years older than your brother. He spent a few years in Edmonton. You you were in Nashville and Columbus. Chicago's a little bit different than those three cities. How how special is it to not only be in this city, but also playing with your bro? Yeah, I've always loved Chicago. Um, Ever since I've been in the league and since 2013, I've um, loved coming to the city. Um, love playing the Blackhawks on the road, love playing in the United Center. Uh, so many good restaurants, just love the vibe of the city as well. Um, the fans have always been great here. So, uh, like I said, I'm extremely happy to be here, especially with my brother. My mom's extremely happy. My dad's happy. Uh, she doesn't have to watch two sets of games anymore on TV <laughs> or travel to two different cities um, to see us so she can get it all done uh, yeah. one trip now. Um, but, yeah, the whole family's happy. Um, yeah. It should be pretty fun this year. I'm yeah, really you should get a little shopping done. There's a few stores. Yeah, yeah. Keep it out of the shopping. Jonathan Taves uh, missed last season, and you know it, it wore on him. You can see it. Anytime you can't do what you love, uh, it's definitely gonna rock you and take you to a, a tough place. Uh, from what you've seen and what you've been around in the training camp and the few preseason games so far. Uh, it's going to take some time for him to get back to Taser, but how how you feel right now about the captain? And is he as serious as everybody makes him out to be? <laughs> He's a pretty serious guy. He's a pretty serious guy. Uh, no, I I, uh, I think he looks great right now at camp. Um, he looks fast. He looks strong, like always. Um, you know, he's just a pure leader. Uh, you know, you look at him and, and you watch him, you see how hard he works in practice and in games. And, um, you know, he's just a guy you get behind and rally behind and, um, you know, I don't think that's changed over the years, no matter how many years you would miss and come back. Um, he's still going to have that respect. Um, he's still going to have that work ethic, which is the most important thing. And, and that's what guys want to see out of their, out of their leader. So, um, you know, we expect a lot out of him this year. Uh, I know he's going to be, be a great player for us. Yeah, obviously you watch tape, Seth, and you've played against these guys now as a veteran. But who – I won't say surprised you, but who who kind of – who are you raising an eyebrow? Like, I didn't, I knew this guy was good or I knew of this person's skills, but this person is a lot better than I thought they were because you're playing next to them or you see them every day on a practice basis. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would probably say uh, Debrinkat. I mean, I've played against him a few times now, um, but – you know, I, I didn't realize, you know, how how fast he was, how skilled he was with the puck. Because, you know, in the games, you don't really have the puck on your stick that long. Um, but he, he's got a he's got a lot of talent in a lot of different areas. And um, he works really hard, too. Um, defensively, he's he's back checking. He's one of the first guys back all the time. He's hard for checker. He, you know, for not a huge guy, he throws his body around. 
Um, he will get physical at times, and um, that's what you need to see out of your out of your star players. You know, you need to see them doing the little things um, to help the team win. And um, you know, I've definitely seen that so far, and I uh, I can't wait to play with him too. You mentioned Mark Andre Fleur, the reigning Vezina Trophy winner, and that's why, like, it was a f- not, not no pun, but it was like a flurry of moves where I was like, eh, you know, <laughs> the Blackhawks had themselves a tough season. We can nestle in now to basketball and try to figure it because you know, basketball, mm-hmm. football guy. But this offseason, yeah. all of a sudden, you know, they went out there and turned into the Lakers and just started getting everybody. <laughs> uh, Mark Andre Fleur, how much does he have left in the tank? Because the you know, he's 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 a name. You know, this is a guy who's yeah. going to be in the Hall of Fame when it's all said done oh yeah he, i think he's got a lot left in the tank um he, he's one of the nicest guys you ever meet and he's um you know like the save he made last night in detroit with his with the glove save i mean yes he's one of the quickest goalies in the net i think i've i've played with and it's almost he almost makes you feel bad when you're shooting on him in practice because you shoot it and he already knows what you're shooting and it looks like he's not even trying he just saves it it's um, it's wild um, how quick he is and how how good he is at reading where the puck's gone um so obviously he's going to be a huge part of our success this year um, as all goalies are on their teams. Um, and now, you know, with us having one of the best goalies in the league, uh, I think it's going to give us a chance to win every night, whether we play, you know, just okay or we play great. Uh, he's going to find a way to make that big save for us. I want to ask you this because baseball, I think, and hockey are similar in that the old guard still reports on it and still covers it and still broadcasts it. So you still got the 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 old school hockey guys out there who who you know may not like the swagger and some of the other things. But you the the celebrations in hockey have always been amazing to me. Whether it be Ovi jumping into the boards or you know putting the sword in this you know in the, in the yeah, in yeah. sheathing the sword and all that other stuff like baseball. With in this city with Tim Anderson, you know, a few years ago, kind of took another another jump in the the stratosphere of oh okay, this can be cool and you could be good at it, right? You didn't mm-hmm. have to just be born. And I think hockey for decades now, since I was a kid, has kind of stifled a lot of the uh, natural and organic personalities that have been in the league. And you know, I know I know a lot of these guys come from Moose Jaw and such, where it's just like you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, you're not running around out there, you know, mm-hmm. showing off your rim. And, and buying chains every weekend, but at the same time, <laughs> dudes have fun, right? So, what yep. do you think is going to take for hockey to get to that next level where you know, you know the way kids consume stuff, whether it be mm-hmm. highlights on the internet or watching YouTube? What's, what is it going to take for hockey to get to that next level of okay, I might want to play this sport because it's not only fun, but it looks fun? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think that as the league gets younger and younger, you see a lot more social media pages. You see a lot more Twitter pages. You see a lot more guys giving their opinion on certain situations. Um, you know, I, I know that some of the dress code stuff, some teams are changing. I think Arizona is going to you can wear whatever you want this year to the game. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. The coyotes are. So you're, you're, you're seeing more and more. So everybody stuff, doesn't have to I dress think. like hitmen now. Yeah, exactly. We're going no ties this year, so we loosened up on the ties. Oh, watch um, out now. Here. I know, I know. You can get two, two buttons down, show a little chest hair. A little Danny uh, Terrier. I like <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're seeing a little bit more stuff like that, I think, where where guys are able to, to show kind of their that side away from the rink, you know, and what they like to dress, the shoes they like to wear, Jordans or whatever they like to wear. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's good. I think that's good for the game and um, – you know, like you said, it shows that we're not just hitmen coming to the rink. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you also have to keep a professional side of it too. Of course. So, 
Uh, but like I said, social media, I think PK Subban is one of the best I've seen at uh, creating a brand for himself, um, you know, just through social media. I mean, the guy's an absolute marketing genius. So um, I think you're going to see a little bit more of that stuff um, coming. I think PK kind of opened the door for a lot of guys for that. All right, Seth, uh, as we get ready to wrap it up here, appreciate your time, man. We're going to get to know a little bit about you these last three or four questions here. Uh, worst purchase you've made while in the NHL? That many, uh, worst huh, Seth? purchase. Probably like a, probably a, a, like a, I don't even know, a piece of clothing that I wore one time. That's expensive. You, you were gonna no, nah, you were gonna say it, and you stopped yourself. It, did you, what? 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 what no, I'm saying. No. I think something jumped in there, and, you, and you're like, eh, no, it was like a that. leather jacket that I bought that was expensive, and I I wore it one time, and that was it. And it's just sitting in the closet still, and just a dumb um, purchase. You know, I was 21 years old, getting paychecks, uh, and I was just bad. A purchase. leather jacket, Seth. Yes, I yes, had such jacket. high hopes. Hey, for I was that 21, answer. man. Leave me alone. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was sure yeah I thought it was going to be like a, a cryo chamber or like a house oh, that you I'm never not. lived in or something like I mean I thought it was no you you, know, I'm not buying houses left and right I'm, you know I'm I'm used to interviewing NBA guys that's the that problem. is true <laughs> that, that, that. Uh, a little more conservative on the side uh, tiny bit tiny bit uh best day of your career worst day of your career best day of my career probably my first NHL goal uh, it's probably a good one. Uh, my fifth game of my career uh, in Nashville, scoring the power play uh, against the Islanders. And um, that was just a great moment. I mean, you could say my first NHL game in St. Louis yeah. or, you know, two weeks later when I scored my first goal. Those are great Who was the goalie for the Islanders at the I time? I think it was Evgeny Nabokov, okay. I think, for the Islanders back in 2013. Um, no slouch. I, it was I was playing with David Leguan, Shea Weber, and those guys. Um my worst day of my career. That's a, tough that's a, that's a hard one. Um, I would probably say at the time, getting traded from Nashville, um, didn't see it coming at all. Um, you know, I was 20, turning 21 years old at that time. Just, you know, my first time getting traded too. And um, just, a, just a weird time. You know, I was actually traded in season. Um, Flew to Columbus that night. Was end up playing the game the next day, and it was just just a whirlwind of a situation. But uh, when I got that call, that was that was kind of a, a tough call to get from the GM. Yeah, man, <clears throat> I, I can't imagine moving because of work. I, yeah. I've I've moved, and I just moved like a couple of weeks ago, and I've moved maybe six times in the last. 12 13 years and i hate it every single time whether it be for work or but what happens when you get that call and you go all right this is where i gotta go all my stuff is here like does the team help you out does moms take over like what yeah what happens it, with all like, your stuff so that, one was, that one was in season so um literally i got traded at five o'clock p.m flew out at 8 p.m to columbus from nashville um practice the next day in columbus so i just bring like a big suitcase you know, my hockey bag, hockey sticks. Uh, and then my mom takes over from there with all the stuff that's left over. She'll yeah. drive it up to Columbus. I think uh, it was like in a week or two. She mm. came up with all the rest of the stuff. Um, so I was just, just got, had, she had to move all my stuff out of the apartment that I was renting. Um, so it was uh, a tough yeah, day. Thank God that she was there. I don't know what I would have done. 
<laughs> you'd, yeah. you'd have had somebody move your stuff for you, and of course, it would have got lost yeah. in transit, and you'd have been upset. Yeah, exactly. no, doubt, no doubt about it. All right, so Spotify is the gang. We're going to put together a Spotify playlist of our interviewees. Uh, what are you listening to these days, whether it be old or new? What's jamming out in the car? I, I hear the jock um, jams in the background at the at the facility right now. Yeah. What are you listening the to these right days? Um, I don't know. I kind of listen to everything. I like um, Jake's new album is pretty good. And I like TSU on that album. Oh, um, I like um, Way Too Sexy. That's a good song, too. That's one of my jams right now. Future. <laughs> um, what else? I listen? I listen to some country, to be honest. Who you got? I like Thomas Red. I like... Um, Brad Paisley's not bad too, so I'm pretty diverse. There you uh, go. A little bit of dance music, Tiesto, like just kind of depends. I wrote, oh. I wrote, got a pretty good, uh, pretty good playlist for the car. I think there it is. There it is. Appreciate your time, man. What should Blackhawks fans be expecting this season? Not only from you, but this squad. Well, I think you're gonna expect should be expecting a lot from us. Uh, we're certainly, um, you know, putting that bar high for ourselves. Uh, we want to. Obviously, we're going to compete in the playoffs. We want to, that's obviously the first step. You know, that's not just given. So, um, we got to play a solid 82 games to have the opportunity to win a Stanley Cup and get to the playoffs. So, um, we want to build every day. We're still in the middle of preseason. So, um, we got a lot of work to do. But at the same time, we think we're going to be ready for that game one in Colorado. All right, Seth, this has been cool, man. I appreciate you. Hopefully this isn't the last time we talk. I'm going to bring my kid out to the UC, have him see see uh, one of the hashtag brothers for hockey right there on the <laughs> yeah. ice. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the time. Seth Jones right here on the Full Go Podcast with Jason Gall. It's the Full Go All right, that's it for the Full Go Podcast. As always, we appreciate you downloading, sharing, subscribing, doing all that good stuff. Make sure you write in your reviews and telling people that you love this pod because you know you do. Make sure you call or text with your thoughts on anything on the voicemail hotline at 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. Lock that thing in your phone. And make sure you download that Green Room app, okay? Because after game two, we will be live in effect with you, the listener, with you, the subscriber, hanging out in the green room talking about game two of White Sox Astros. So, yeah, do that or be a lame. And we know you're not lame out there if you're listening to the Full Go Podcast. want to say thank you so much, as always, to our producers, Steve Cerruti, and, of course, my main man, Chris Tannehill. For the fellas, I'm Jason Goff. Thanking you once again for listening to the Full Go Podcast, brought to you by The Ringer. And, as always, Spotify is the gang. Take care of each other and be safe. Thank you for listening to my daddy. It's the Full Go Podcast.